0: Um, But I'm glad that we're here together. If you would open up your Bibles and join me in Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 13. Um, if you don't have a Bible open up to page 812 and um, take out the one in front of you that's the page that our scripture reading this morning is going to be found on um, it is a letter that Paul wrote just a couple of verses if if you want to be in other places I'm going to be as I jump around in this message this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12 Philippians chapter 2 Romans chapter 5 don't feel like you got to jump around it'll all be up on the screen um, but if you wanted to um, I want want you to know where we're at. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, then take the one in front of you home. It's our gift to you. Uh, We would love for you to to have it. Um, But we begin, verse 13, Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for a dry room to spend it in. We pray for those who are impacted by the rain, especially for farmers, God, and... um, We pray for everyone in this place to be drawn closer to you Uh, through your word, through your spirit's presence in our hearts. I pray, God, that my words are not my own, but they're ones that further illuminate your truth, that we might all leave this place and look a little bit more like Jesus than when we came. And all God's people said, amen. Well, today is is the second week in, in this series that we're calling The Elephant in the living room we talked last week in our first week about the fact that we all have elephants in the living room if you say you don't have an elephant in the living room your ignorance is the elephant in the living room we all have them and so we started out with this concept that even though every family is different in size and shape and season god has a standard god has an ideal that we're called to move toward uh, in order to to find the happiness that God wants. We want to be happy in our families. We want to work toward God's plan for our families, his purpose for us. And what we talked about was that we need to start by dropping the facade and admitting that there are areas in our life that we have to grow. And in order to do that, uh, we studied Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and we learned that these people were people that, that really loved Jesus. They were good people that he was writing to, but because they spent so much time on the outward appearance on checking the right boxes, on trying to still earn their salvation. They had nothing left in order to to deal with the things on the inside, to let God in to the places where real transformation takes place. And so in a nutshell, we learned that you've got to admit that, that inside and outside, we have to be able to be willing to be transparent and say, God, and say it to others as well, I've got places I need to grow in order to become the person and the family that God is calling us to be. And that creates tension, doesn't it? Because we're all wired to, to want to make it look like our lives are perfect. At least we want to make sure that everybody around us... I was reminded of this just last night. My brother uh, stopped by our house unannounced, and he lives about 45 minutes away. So that's, that's kind of a, an odd thing, and we didn't clean And he walked in, and there was all this stuff all over the floor, and never mind, our basement flooded two days ago, right? And I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, oh, if I knew he was coming, right? Like, it's this this knee-jerk reaction that we have to make it look to everybody on the outside like everything's together. And that's a tension that we we live with. But, But see, if you can accept the tension, tension is actually where God seems to be able to do his best work. And the tensions we're calling elephants in the room. Room. And each week we're going to talk about a different elephant. And so we'll get into today's elephant in the room. It's, it's a basic question Who wears the pants in this family? And I said last week I had several people leave the church. I said, Pastor, I don't need to come because I already know who wears the pants in my family. And I said, That means you really need to come. Now, you've heard the saying before. The saying goes way back to the days when pants were referred to as trousers. And only men wore trousers. And the assumption was then that men were in charge of everything, unless, of course, someone else was wearing the trousers. Now, before we get into it, I just want to say the world today is very different. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a very good thing. And in light of that, there's a joke I've shared at, at several weddings before. I shared it at my own sister's wedding, that, that the two becoming one, that's the easy part. You just have to decide which one you're going to become. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. I know it's early. But that kind of speaks to the culture, right? It's this assumption that we all have that there's supposed to be one person in every family who is the alpha dog, who is the matriarch, who is the boss. Now, if your, church, your family is more traditional, you might assume it's the husband or the father. Other families live by the mantra, happy wife, happy Life, so you know, right? Others of us yet allow our kids to dictate our lives, to dictate the family budget and the schedule and the priorities. And, and and you can't argue that because it's all about the kids, right? Like nobody can say that's wrong, their comfort, their happiness, all of that. But what if I told you that none of those scenarios, those images actually line up with the ideal or the standard that God has put before us what if what if God has a radically different approach to family and and that his approach might more look like what he has done for us and I'm going to make the case that I believe the Bible makes that that is the case but before we get into that we got to talk about what it is that Jesus did for us and so we go to Romans 5 Paul wrote this in a different part of the Bible he said you see At just the right time, when we were still, say it with me, powerless. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In a nutshell, Jesus who had all the power in heaven and on earth, literally died for those who had no power, you and me. And he didn't wait until we all had it all cleaned up and our act was together. We were going to church every single Sunday. He didn't, he didn't wait until we were doing all of the right things on the outside like we talked about last week. And the reason he did not wait is because he loves us. And so he sacrificed himself for us. And so because he sacrificed everything for us, you might have assumed I was going to make this statement at some point in this message. Jesus is the one who wears the pants in every family. Jesus wears the pants in this family. Now, don't you think that would make a good bumper sticker? <laughs> don't you think that would make a good T-shirt? People would look at that and go, what does that mean? But it's, it's more than just cliche. It's true because when we talk about family, there's a four letter word that draws us together. What is it? Love, well, that was dangerous, right? right? Love is what it's supposed to be. We wanna love one another. These are the people that God has called us into relationship with through love. And so it makes sense that we would start with the source of love, Jesus himself, who loved us so much that he chose to sacrifice himself for those who were powerless so that he could save us from the root cause of pain and suffering and even death. It's a word we call sin. And We talked last week about how sin breaks our relationship with God, but it also breaks our relationship with everybody else. And the way it manifests itself, we, we had this big long list from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. It was this list that involved sexual immorality, rage, anger, greed. And when you look at that list... You'd be hard-pressed not to find the things on it that are probably breaking up our families too whether you're christian or not and so jesus sacrificed himself out of love so that we could be free from those things but see being free and living free are two very different concepts which is why paul says in galatians chapter 5 you brothers and sisters were called to be free but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Old Testament, over half the Bible, can be summarized in one short sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. And your family is arguably your closest neighbor the people that you have the opportunity to live this out with day in and day out, to sacrifice for, to love in humility. And and, and here's the point. This this is actually instinctive. Because if you think about it, like this last week, we remembered September 11th, right? September 11, 2001, it was 18 years ago. Can you believe it was 18 years ago? Like I, I look out and I think, man, like some of you weren't even born yet. (laughs) <laughs> and some of you were babies, and, and i and I fascinated, because every year, and, I, and those of us who were born, and we were around, we remember where we were, we remember all of these things, uh, I remember how quickly it occurred, somebody actually posted on social media this week, it was a screenshot of, of the iPhone um, alarm app, and it had an alarm set, for when each tower was hit, when the Pentagon was hit, when the plane went down, when when the towers crumbled. And and I just, I looked at that and I thought, man, that all happened so fast. And and it brought me back to that. But what I'm fascinated by is every year we find different ways like that to remember, right? We find different ways to, to, to honor those who died. We find different ways to learn lessons. And there was this little article, it wasn't, picked up by any of the major outlets, and I wouldn't have even seen it. It's not something I normally read on, but it was at the bottom of my feed, and I found it fascinating. I'll just show you the title of it. It was, it was that 13 children on September 11th of this year, 13 children of fallen 9-11 firefighters joined the New York Fire Department. I mean, isn't that something? 13 kids who lost their parents 18 years ago have made the conscious choice this year, to step foot into the same vocation that took their parents' lives, to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of others. Parents are children like Matthew right there. Matthew yavick who is pictured right next to his father, Anthony, holding him as an infant. Anthony died 18 years ago on September 11th, 2001. Now, doesn't Matthew's sacrifice make your heart just, like, overflow? Like, doesn't it fill you with warmth? Doesn't it make you feel like, 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 of course, like what an incredible sacrifice. Like, like we want to stand up and start singing the national anthem, right? Like, like it, it just it just evokes this thing inside of us. You know why? Because God wired you to be sacrificial. God actually made you to live that way. He wired you from the inside in order to live your life as a sacrifice for others because God is the one who ultimately made that sacrifice for you. And so my question, though, is why do we have such an easy time lifting up stories like this, but when it comes to the people who are closest to us, we're stubborn to make sacrifices for them. You know, when a loved one dies, when somebody passes away, I did a funeral just yesterday, and every funeral is sad because we miss our loved one. And when somebody passes away, we so often would say, I would do anything to bring them back. And yet, while they were with us, we wouldn't even let them pick what we watched on TV. <laughs> like, Like, we're going to go out to lunch after church, and we're going to argue about where we're going to go. And yet, when they die... <laughs> I mean, I think about these firefighters, and I think about their kids, and I think if they had lived through their kids' teenage years, they still would have argued about curfew. (laughs) They still would have argued about screen time and how much time their kids spent with their friends instead of their family and all of the rules. It's almost like it takes somebody literally dying in order to, to realize the worth of their love, right? Well, what Paul is saying, what Jesus suggested as well, so you don't have to wait until somebody physically dies if you choose to die to yourself in your relationships right now. If you choose to sacrifice yourself for the people who you really love for their sake, that's what draws us together as a family. That's what draws children to their parents, and parents to their children, and wives to their husbands, and generations together. And and Philippians puts it very simply. Paul says this. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united in with Christ, any comfort from His love any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, in other words, you know the feeling you felt when you heard that story about the the kids whose parents died on 9-11, how much more does it sink in when you realize that God sent his son to do that for you, to die for you on a cross? And if if that rings true, your heart to anything, if the Holy Spirit has opened up your mind to faith if whatever it is, he says, then make my joy complete. Then this is how you live it out. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be in one spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility and value, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, the interests of others others what if we all just took a picture of that verse and plastered it in our living rooms like like just that one right there do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but to the interests of others The reason we're called to that is because that's what Jesus did for us. He continues, next verse, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Verse five, who being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in the human likeness and image. Jesus wore the pants in his relationship with all of creation, with all people, and yet he did not use that power to his own selfish advantage, even though he could have, and in him it wouldn't have been selfish. I, was, I share this story a couple times here because I just love it. Peter, remember, when Jesus was being arrested, he cut the guy's ear off, and Jesus was like, dude, he didn't say dude. He's like, do you not think that if I wanted a whole army of angels to come and just blow this whole thing up right now in this moment, I couldn't do that? Of course I could. But we know why he did it. There was something that needed to be fulfilled because he loved us. He had to go to the cross. And so he went. He chose to do that. And I just want to pause here for a second because before I get too far, I just want to to highlight and acknowledge as we talk about sacrificing ourselves for the people that we love, sacrifice and abuse are two very different things. Sacrifice is a choice that you make for someone you love. Jesus said in himself. He said, I lay my own life down. I lay it down. I will pick it up again. I do that for you. I choose to do that for you. When somebody is abusive in a power position, especially in our families, and they choose for you to make a sacrifice, you don't get the choice anymore, and that is no longer a sacrifice in love, and you should walk away from that. Sacrifice is giving yourself for the love of others. It's a choice that you make. And Jesus made that choice so that we could make that choice in the relationships that we have with others. And that's where we find our freedom. Freedom from the rat race of who's right and who's wrong. Freedom from figuring out who it is that wears the pants in this family. Verse 13, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Because if you don't, the consequences are in verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be, I lost it there. Could you go back? (laughs) Sorry. You will be destroyed by each other. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, we don't like it, but how many of us would say that's the verse that more reflects our families than any of the other ones I've read so far? See, that's what happens. We don't live in the freedom of sacrificing one another. We've all been there. Families destroyed by greed, parents passing away, and and the adult children fighting over the inheritance. As, as a pastor, as a young pastor, I, I was not prepared for how often that scenario plays out. I, I, I've lost track of how many children of parents that I've run into who have told me stories of, of their siblings and their relatives fighting over the inheritance. I've done countless funerals where, where somebody doesn't even show up because they're so broken and the family is so divided over this issue. And I look out there, and I know that some of you can relate. And if you can relate to that, then know that that, that story is actually as old as the Bible. And In Luke 12, Jesus was teaching this, this huge crowd. It was like thousands of people, and he was, he was like Billy Graham-style like sermon, right? And, and he's painting this beautiful picture of how God sees everything and and, and that life is worth more than, 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 than what you realize. And, and, and he can see into hypocrisy, and, and he encourages them in their worth and, and says this, like, like Luke 12, 6 and 7, he says... Are, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Like, does that not just warm your heart to know that in the eyes of God, you are worth more than many sparrows? And so Jesus goes through his teaching, and no sooner is he over, it says, verse 13, somebody in the crowd came up to him and said, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I picture it, it's like, it's like that kid that's sitting at the kitchen table, and you know, you know that they're just like, they're doing this. Like, I was that kid, like, they have something to say, and so, so they're, not, they're not actually listening to anything anybody says. They're just waiting for uh, an in so that they can say something, Right? Like, that's this guy. Like, he wasn't listening to a word Jesus said, and as soon as Jesus was quiet, he found him, and he said, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Isn't that fascinating? And so Jesus responds. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, we're going to get into it later. That actually would have been a position Jesus could have taken. But then he said to them, he said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He he does something rare here. He actually gives them the moral of the story that he's about to tell before he tells the story, and then he gets into it. He says this parable, verse 16. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones, and And there I'll store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be with those who store things up for themselves but are not rich toward God. I've read that parable many times, but it's not usually in the context of what actually happened. And if you don't read it in context, you might think, what's Jesus trying to say? Maybe he's saying that I'm not supposed to have so much stuff, right? Like maybe it's a parable about materialism or or, or my 401k shouldn't be that big, right? But... But in context, that's actually not at all what he's teaching about. He's teaching about a brother and the consequences of getting caught up in the wrong things. A brother who is fighting over an inheritance who instead should be fighting for a relationship. He's fighting over the inheritance when what he should be doing is fighting for the relationship. And notice something. Jesus actually never addresses the original request that the brother comes with. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And here's the thing. Jesus was a rabbi, and it would have been common to come up to a rabbi and ask them to be a judge over a situation like this because in the Jewish law, it speaks about how something like this is supposed to be handled. It's Deuteronomy 21, and it says that the oldest is supposed to get a double portion from the younger brother. Do you know why I know that? Because I'm the oldest in my family. <laughs> and so I tell my parents, I, I, they're here right now. we got to follow Old Testament law. Sorry, right? <laughs> so what Jesus would have done, if he was just a regular rabbi, he just would have said, okay, that's fine. He would have pulled out his phone, opened up the, the, the calendar, the, the, not the calendar, he would have opened up the, the calculator app, and, and he would have said, okay, how much, how much did your dad leave behind? And he would have done the math. But see, he doesn't do that. He doesn't doesn't leave them with that. He doesn't speak into the request at all because anybody who's been in that position knows that it's not a matter of money. See, he could have walked away and he, he could have moved on with money and he would have gotten his inheritance and he would have lost his brother. And so Jesus gives him another chance by telling this story that he might walk away instead with a relationship. And I had, I had like almost the same thing happen to me early on in my ministry. This woman, she's not here anymore, so if you're trying to figure out who I'm talking about, it's none of you. But it was this, this woman, she, she, um, her father was dying. He wasn't dying quite yet, but he was getting very sick. And, and she and her only sister had to decide to move her into a nurse, or move their father into a nursing home. And this woman that I knew, she did all the work to take care of her father and her sister did next to nothing she was just caught up in her own life and her own everything and they were emptying out the house they had to sell the house so that their father could move into this nursing home. And their father had this beautiful desk in his bedroom where he used to to pay the bills, and she'd sit on his lap. And and then when when she started to pay the bills, for the last, like, 10 years, she sat at the same desk, and she took care of her father's affairs. And they're moving everything out of the house. And she comes and talks to me, and she's in tears, and she says, Pastor, my sister took my dad's desk. And for the last 10 years, she hasn't been there to do anything. I have been paying the bills. I sit there every single week. I was the one that sat on my father's lap while he would pay the bills when we were growing up, and my sister took that desk. And I felt really pastoral in that moment because I'm thinking to myself, okay, where can I get a pickup truck? Because we're gonna go to your sister's house and we're gonna get that desk. Like I was like, like I was with her because she was right. She had done so much. She had sacrificed so much beyond what her sister had. And her sister had no right to take that desk, and yet she did. And yet the the Holy Spirit had, had a better handle on my brain than my own brain did. And instead of telling her, let's go, and grabbing my pitchfork and my keys, I said to her instead, maybe you should just wait. There's a lot going on in your life right now. Your dad just moved. You're selling the house. Why don't you just wait? And and, and that's exactly what she did. And it wasn't long after that, he actually had to move from the nursing home and he had to move into the hospital. And there was about a week's time where he was in the hospital and he was dying. And the only two people there the entire week was this woman and her sister for a week sitting next to their father until he passed away. And it was after the funeral and after the house sold and after all that stuff, this woman came back to me and she said, Pastor, do you remember the desk? (laughs) I'm so glad that I didn't take it. Because if I took that desk... And I should have taken that desk, and I could have taken that desk, and it was in my right to take that desk. But going through all of this stuff with my dad, I would never have regained my sister. I feel closer to my sister now than I have for years, and the desk would have ruined all of it. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, What they're pleading us to do is don't wait until that final moment to realize what it is in life that matters most. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Let go of your preferences. Let go of your power. Let go of your agenda for the person who needs it most in your family. And that person by God's design, is called to do the same thing for you. You die to yourself that the love in your family might live. And you don't have to wait until somebody dies. I, this was on my mind, and I'll leave you with this. as I was, I was, I was going through my basement on Friday, all day Friday, and then yesterday, was tons going on, and I had just enough time when I got home last night to cut the grass before... I, I, I took a shower and I went to bed and and, and most of the, the dudes in the room here, you know how, how we feel when our grass is mowed, right? Like, all is well with the world. My basement has water in it, but the grass is mowed, right? And so I got about halfway through and there's this motorcycle pulls up and, and I'm like kind of waving and it's slowing down and I'm like, oh, who is this person? And they pull into the driveway. It's my brother. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. I haven't seen him on his bike in a while and And he lives like 45 minutes away, and he just decided to show up unannounced. And he comes into the house, and of course, our basement's flooded, so the upstairs is just a mess, and it's crazy. And I'm thinking, oh, I would have liked to clean, right, because I still want to make this cover, this facade. And the grass isn't mowed, and I decided in that moment, thinking about this, that what's more important than my lawn being mowed is spending time with my brother. And so don't drive by my house, because it's ugly right now. Grass is half mowed, but I got to spend time with him. And the reason I chose that wasn't because I didn't have this part of me that just wanted to get my stuff done. It's because I read this verse, and I knew that I was free to make that sacrifice so that I could spend time with the people I love. So let's pray right now. Jesus, would you give each of us in this room an opportunity to make the same choice in our relationships and in our family today? Each person in this room, God, I pray that even this afternoon that there would be this, this chance that we would have as we leave church. Maybe it's this conversation we're having with our spouse about where we're going to go out to lunch and, and that we would, we would choose to allow them to get to pick where they want to eat, God. And we wouldn't, like, play our card and be like, well, pastor said to sacrifice, so here you are. Jesus said, don't let the right hand see what the left hand's doing. God, would you give us an opportunity that we might sacrifice for our kids today, that we might sacrifice, even if they're adults, even if they've moved on, that we might we might split off of our own agenda, that we might meet their needs instead of our own. God, that you might bless us with the opportunity because we know that we already have everything that we need in you. But God, it takes this moment that we're taking right now to pray and to Be mindful of it because we're so busy, we don't look for those moments. There's so many things going on in our lives. We don't wait to see and to find those places where we need to give up control, where we need to give up our power, where we need to give up what we have for those we love. And so God, in this moment right now, I pray that you would bring to mind a way that we can live this out. And that you would prepare us to be able to live it out by being mindful that your presence is with us. That you have been with us and that you will be with us. And as we open up our eyes, we remember this. As we take this bread that that you broke with your disciples on the night that you would be betrayed, while we were still powerless, you got down on your knees and you washed their feet. And then you said, I give you a new command. You are to love others the way I have just loved you. And you took bread and you broke it. And you said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, you took the cup of blessing, you gave thanks, and you gave it for all to drink, saying, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenants in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. When we eat the bread and when we drink from the cup, we eat the flesh and we drink of the blood of Jesus. It's a reminder of us. Just like on 9-11, we... We look at the pictures of the towers and the planes and and the half-melted fire trucks and, and the pictures of parents who left children behind, and we look at that sacrifice, and it moves us. We look at the sacrifice of Jesus, and we think, he was God, and he laid down everything, and he chose And how can he not then give me the power to choose to do that same thing as well? But you're going to need his help. And so what we begin to do while we prepare for this meal that has power, is we open up our hands as a sign of surrender first to the God who has loved us. We pray the way that Jesus has taught us to pray.